Tuesday, November 16th. You, come on, man. I'm Guy Adami. I'm here with Dan Nathan. This is Market Call Macro. Now, look, we rebranded this because, quite frankly, when the clocks changed, I have trouble with math in the first place. It threw me off. But we're still going to do the same amazing stuff we've always done, top macro headlines. This week, our best investment in trading insights. Today, we're going to be joined by the great Chris Vecchio, senior strategist at Daily FX. And Dan Nathan, today's market call is being brought to you by our presenting sponsors, Nadex, the leading U.S. exchange for binary options, call spreads, and knockouts. We'll talk about that later. And of course, our friends at Open Exchange, Dan, because they, in fact, do manage virtual meetings that matter for the top companies around the world. Dan, how are you on this fine day? I'm doing well, Guy Dami. And there are some things moving around in macro land here. Oh, we yeah. spent the last few weeks really drilling down on the micro as it related to corporate earnings. But now it really feels like it is a macro market from here to the end of the year. You know, when I first started my career, Dan, um, I worked closely with a gentleman. Um, they called him JP. I didn't really know that much about him. He went on to do amazing things. Well, the bank now named after him JP Morgan. Look at Carl Quintanilla, CQ, I call him. Look at this tweet from Carl. After months of market participants challenging our equity view, the S&P 500 has reached our 4,700 year-end price target and should rally further to reach 5,000 in the first half of 2022. Look, regardless of what I think at this point, who am I to argue with that? Who are you? I mean, you grew up with J.P. Morgan, Charles Dow, the whole group. You've seen it all here, guy. I mean, listen, this market has climbed a wall of worry for the oh. better part of this year. I know that you hate that, but think about it because every step of the way, you know, we were worried about inflation back in Q1. We were worried about the Fed, you know, starting taper too soon. We were worried about rate hikes too soon. Then we were worried about supply. I mean, there's been no shortage of things you get thrown at this market. We haven't even talked about some of the macro issues, right? We haven't talked about tax tax worries or, you know, I mean, the list goes on and on, but the biggest peak to trough decline in the S&P 500 has been less than 6%. And I think I read this quote, if we do not have a bigger sell-off than that, this will be literally one of five years in the last 40 or 45 that we have not had a 10% peak to trough decline. Why is that important? Well, it's important because it's gotten kind of easy just to buy every little dip. Look at the chart on the S&P 500. You see that beautiful bottom left to the upper right. You saw that period, I guess you'd call it digestion. Our friend Tony Dwyer from Canaccord was saying, what, we might see some indigestion, right, guy? And we finally got it. But again, it was less than 6%. And look at that straight line higher that we've had since the start of October. Not to cast aspersions, but I had uh, French onion soup from Panera <laughs> last night, and I'm feeling a bit like that indigestion that you mentioned now. And listen, that's a great looking chart. There's no other way to look at it. You know, you've seen little sell-offs along the way. They don't last very long. This last one lasted maybe, maybe six or seven trading days at best. And now here we are, you know, challenging that 4,700 level once again. And it certainly appears as though that 5,000 level that JP Morgan is talking about. It was, it's, it's absolutely in the crosshairs. You mentioned other things. I'll throw one more on. Last night, I think President Biden spoke with President Xi of China. Uh, God knows how that conversation went. But I still think the situation between China and Taiwan is still a bit of a powder keg. And then you throw into the mix what's happening in Western Europe in terms of their energy problems. And, you know, they're big deals the market doesn't seem to care about. The 200-day moving average, Dan, and this comes in around 4260 or thereabouts. Again, 
Each day that increases by probably five or six S&P handles. But here we are, very hard um, to knock this chart because it does look great. I guess if you're looking for a level, it comes in right around 4,500, which would be the 50-day moving average. Yeah, it's interesting how the 50 and the 200-day line up. You see that 200-day lines up with the September lows there, right? And then that 50-day is the breakout level or will be the breakout level um, from just last month. And I'll just say this, add one other thing. Our friend Tom Lee over there at Fundstrat FS Insight, in his morning note this, this morning, he mentions that Germany policymakers are panicking. Um, they just put further COVID-19 restrictions in. Um, you know, that would be the sort of thing where if people are, and I believe that we're going to get by some of these bottlenecks and some of these manufacturing issues and, and the like, but if we have, let's say, what's going on in Western Europe, if you basically take out some demand, well, that could be a problem, right? And we do find ourselves at one point, guy, we didn't even mention this thing. Remember, stagflation, lower growth, higher inflation. That might not be great for stocks. But let me tell you what index doesn't seem to care one way or another. That's the NASDAQ 100, because we know that that is powered by six names now, Microsoft, Apple, Google, Amazon, Facebook, and the Tesla, which is larger than Facebook at this point. And those lines uh, line up pretty well for the NASDAQ 100 also guy with the 200-day moving average at the early October low and the breakout level very near that 50-day. I guess the thing that really concerns, look, a lot of things concern me. You mentioned it. We kid around from time to time, but there are clearly a lot of things to be concerned about in terms of geopolitical and in terms of the macro. Again, you mentioned the market doesn't seem to care, and that's fine. But the fact that the NDX has not whiffed uh, the 200-day moving average in quite some time, I mean, you can just look at this chart to get a a clear vision of what we're talking about. Yeah, it came close a couple times, but never touched it. I mean, that is somewhat concerning. Everything at a certain point in our world mean reverts. And, you know, I get the bad feeling it's going to happen here as well. The problem is, Dan, I can't tell you really when, and I can't unfortunately tell you what the catalyst is going to be, um, but it's clearly there. And maybe it is the supply disruptions that you talked about. I watched 60 Minutes, which, by the way, I started watching on day one when I think I was 18 years old back in the day, and they did a whole thing on the supply chain. And if you watch that, that's not going to rectify itself anytime soon. So we'll see. I mean, the, the, the pressures are out there. The concerns are out there. But you look at this chart and say, you know what? Party on, folks. And next chart we need to look at, because this is the one that I think is almost the most important, is the RTY, sort of the small caps. And we've talked about this for a while, Dan. This has been sideways action since February, having had a huge run into that February level. And then we traded sideways for approximately nine months. We recently broke out. The small caps are telling you that, you know what, the economy is improving and there, there's some hope uh, on the horizon. That, to me, what this is indicative of, we'll see. Uh, that range that we talked about a number of times was a, was a very well-defined range we've now broken out of. In this case, we did test and bounce off the 200-day a number of times. To me, this actually might look the best out of all of them, Dan, Nathan. Yeah, it might look the best because you have that long base. But I'll tell you one thing, it won't look great if it's back at its 200-day moving average, guys, somewhere around 2255 or something. If it's a failed breakout, it just puts it right back in that range here. So to me, you know, yeah, I think that if you're looking for some alpha, if we get by some of these kind of macro headwinds that we've just been discussing here, I think you're going to see early into next year or possibly late this year, a pile on trade in this because of 
of the relative underperformance over the last nine months and because of their sensitivity um, to a reflation trade if we were to get it. But yeah, this one's really interesting to me. It's been hard to make money in the Russell 2000 for almost a year now, Guy. Uh, If you didn't catch that early pop after the election and after the vaccine news, there wasn't much to do there. And I think it was the great Nigel Tufnell of Spinal Tap that said, the greater in space, the higher in outer space, or yeah, maybe that yeah, was yeah, Luis yeah, Yamada. Yeah. By the way, if you haven't seen This Is Spinal Tap, I don't know what planet you're living on, but go to Blockbuster this weekend once again, Dan, and rent it, which brings us to our next headline. This is actually making me smile a bit, not because I'm a fan of inflation by any stretch, because as you've come to realize, I'm a human being as well, but I'm a gold fan for a myriad of different reasons. And this Wall Street Journal article talking about that, inflation surge pushes gold to a five-month high, climbing the haven asset. Wow. I mean, the fact that they even use that word haven, a company's other signs and investors starting to seek protection from rising consumer prices and interest rates. What say you, Dan Nathan? Well, maybe, you know, you and I have talked a lot about this on the macro setup slash market call, the new market call here guy over the last, you know, I want to say it six to nine months. And we've been talking about what appears to be a sort of inverse relationship with Bitcoin that we're going to hit right here. Look at this breakout right now over the last few weeks. It definitely did correspond with a move higher in Bitcoin, but Bitcoin's come in from 69,000 over the last, let's call it week and a half. And this thing just broke out of this downtrend that's been in place since August of 2020. And, you know, one of the thesis that I have is at least on the bold case for Bitcoin is that incremental money that might go to gold is going to Bitcoin. Now, you may say, well, that doesn't make any sense because gold just broke out and Bitcoin just came in a little bit. I think that one of the features of Bitcoin is this volatility, is the fact that we have these 100% moves and these 50% retracements, that sort of thing. And I think it's giving a lot of institutions the opportunity to buy on those dips. So we got full up. There's a headline out of China. Bitcoin comes in. It just makes the case for those who are inclined to buy gold anyway. Does that make sense to you, Guy? Yeah, it makes sense to me. I think that's definitely part of the narrative without without question. I mean, obviously, the crypto story over the last couple of years specifically has put a dent in this gold move. But I've said for a while, and I'm going to stand by it, Dan, that I think both gold and crypto can live in the same universe and both can do well. And maybe we'll start to see that now. You mentioned that Bitcoin's coming in. We'll talk about that. But, you know, gold is breaking out of this pennant formation. I mean, if Carter Braxton Worth... Uh, of worth charting were here, he would say, you know what, looks like we've broken out of this little bit of a pennant and we should trade up to the levels we saw in early spring. I think we're headed to the levels we saw in August of 2020, but that's me. And as they say, that's what makes markets. But the thing you really need to look at to put this all in this sort of context are yields. And again, you know, I've said this till I'm blue in the face. I think you disagree with me, which is fine, but the volatility in 10-year yields is staggering. I mean, we saw Over the last week and a half, we saw a move down to 143, a subsequent move back to this 161, 162 level. I don't think that's particularly healthy. But what I do think is we're setting up for a move back to the March highs of 177 or thereabouts. Yeah, I mean, I don't disagree with you. I mean, the volatility off a very low base is clearly there. Um, it just doesn't, to me right now, it doesn't mean a lot. I don't see a lot of things trading off of it. You know, if you talk about this 10-year yield banging around between 1.6 and 1.4% over the last few weeks or so, look at what happened to the dollar. We're, we're going to talk about that a lo- little bit. Um, it doesn't really speak to, the, like, it's not like we have a runaway breakout in yields and therefore we have a runaway breakout in the Dixie. The Dixie's doing its own thing here. 
there. Um, but to me, I, I, the tension is building. There's going to be a move one way or another. You may be, uh, you may get your 2% very soon, or you may get a breakdown below its 200-day moving average and a breakdown below that uptrend that's been in place since, uh, I don't know, last summer 2020, when yields were 1% or below 1%. They were at 50 basis points. So, I don't know. Um, you know, I, I get it. I mean, I mean are yields going to follow the dollar? I, I don't know either. But for some reason, the Fed announced their taper. Um, you know, we're assuming that rate hikes and Chris Vecchio is going to talk to us a little bit about that as far as expectations. Why isn't the yield higher? Why isn't it surging back to the, the highs of early this year? And look at the Dixie here. We just mentioned it. I mean, that's a gorgeous chart. I mean, I know, you know, we're going to talk about this a little bit more. Take the Dixie, take the dollar, take all the, the crosses and everything else against it out there. If that was a stock or that was a commodity or something else, you'd be buying that, wouldn't you, Guy Donnie? Yeah, you would. And if Carter were here, he would have those little red circles, those <laughs> yes. semi-circles below it. It would look so pretty we're not as nearly as capable as he is, but I'll say this. You know, you mentioned Runaway earlier. I've never been a particular fan of Bon Jovi. That song I have a little bit of time for. You probably should be playing it in the background because right now the dollar is on a bit of a runaway. And if you listen to Tim Seymour on Fast Money, you know, he'll talk about the fact that he thinks that DXY is headed back to that 100 level, which would be sort of interesting to see what happens to the market on the back of that. Historically, if the dollar goes higher, creates a bit of a headwind uh, for U.S. equities. We'll see if that's the case. Right now, the market doesn't seem to care. Um, I think the market should care. But clearly, one thing the market does care about today, Dan, as they say, slide it, Earl, is this Bitcoin. I mean, you talk about volatility. I mean, 10, 12 percent moves in a couple hours is sort of interesting, but that's sort of endemic or I shouldn't say that. That's part of the characteristics that make up crypto. And I think a lot of people embrace that. So I shouldn't sort of, again, cast aspersions. But Bitcoin tumbles towards 60,000 after China fires another warning at crypto miners and Biden's $1 trillion infrastructure bill becomes law. I think you're going to say this is a healthy retracement. I would agree with that. But the moves are staggering, Dan Nathan. Yeah, the moves are staggering. And, and like you said, I think that some of those long-term hodlers, as they call them, guy, you know that expression here. I mean, they're very used to this. And, you know, even in this year that we saw that massive move in Q1 and then we saw that correction from the prior high, which was like 64,000 or something, all the way down to 29,000. And it spent a lot of time in May, June, and July below 40,000 in between 30,000. And it didn't seem to be that the bull thesis by those who are really um, into this thing got too shaken out. And then you have this move from 30,000 to 50,000, 50,000 back to 40,000, and then 40,000 to almost 70,000. So, you know, might we see a move back to 50,000? Yeah. And it's going to be the people puking it that bought it at the highs, right? Like that's kind of just the sort of macro asset this is right now. But I don't think most of the people who are buying this for or the, the big reasons why they want to buy this rather than gold are thinking about it too near term, right? They're thinking about accumulating a position, a position long term, and you're going to need those sorts of pullbacks. So to me, look at that 200-day moving average. I mean, 50,000-ish around there seems like probably a pretty decent level back towards that uptrend that's been in place from the summer lows here. But that's awful hard to see your portfolio or your wallet lose 30, 40% in a very short period of time with the anticipation that you're going to reload. We know that. We're not used to that in stocks, but you better get used to it in the crypto. 
All right, we lost Scott Adami here, but you know what? We have Daily FX's senior strategist, Chris Vecchio, the aforementioned Chris Vecchio. Chris, thanks for joining us. Thanks for grabbing the baton from Guy Adami here. What do you make of that conversation here? You know, it seems that, you know, S&P targets are moving up here. People think rates are going higher. I know we're going to look at your uh, Fed rate hike odds here. What do you make of our whole little equity market landscape? And then obviously we're going to talk about rates a little bit. Uh, so thanks for uh, having me again, Dan. And I uh, wish Guy was here, but we can talk about markets without him. And we're going to do just that. And so uh, actually, the data that came out this morning, U.S. retail sales for the month of October, 1.7% month over month above expectations. More signs that the U.S. economy is continuing to steam ahead here in the fourth quarter. Uh, prior to today's data release, U.S. GDP was tracking at 8.2%, according to the Atlanta Fed's GDP Now growth tracker. Just for point of reference, for the third quarter, which actually came in at 2%, Atlanta Fed only had it pegged at 0.2%. So these are strong signs that the economy, at least in the near term, is weathering the storm uh, from Delta. And combined with those inflation prints that we've seen over the past week, it really looks like that the market is expecting the Fed to accelerate its taper timeline. Last week, I suggested that we were going to see some sideways movement in the dollar index. That was obviously wrong because we've seen such a big jump in those Fed hike odds now, looking at basically six full hikes priced in by the end of 2023. And the shape of the U.S. yield curve, the 2510 butterfly, continues to evolve in a manner where the market is anticipating a faster taper uh, episode. So we do have 15 billion coming off in November and in December. It wouldn't surprise me that if we continue to see these hot inflation readings, which by the way, should continue into early next year, uh, we see the Fed announce that it's going to accelerate its raise, rate of asset purchase withdrawal. And that means that we could be getting a rate hike sooner than what the market's currently pricing or what at least it was pricing last week, which was June 2022. So right now, good news for the dollar. Incidentally, Kind of piggybacking on your conversation with gold earlier, we can actually see gold prices still go up, even if the dollar is making some significant headway right now. And that's in part because inflation expectations are outpacing the move higher in U.S. yields. And so we have all-time lows in real U.S. yields right now. That's something that gold loves. It wouldn't surprise me if over the coming weeks, we see gold prices extend back above that 1900 figure. You know, there's an expression, generals are always busy fighting the last war. In 2010, uh, it was widely understood that we didn't provide enough stimulus to the economy to get out of the global financial crisis. Now it seems like we're doing too much in some respect, and that's helping fuel this inflation picture very near term. So if we see 5 6% inflation here on the headline in November, in December, January, February, March, that shouldn't be a surprise to anyone, but that's exactly the kind of environment that gold will love. Yeah, so gold loves it. The Dixie loves it. I see your um, chart right here. We're seeing this breakout, right? You know, this is the week after we saw that very hot CPI print. What about yields? You know, Guy and I were talking about that earlier. It seems to be that they're just really banging around in this range, you know, and it's getting tighter and tighter and there's tension building and they're going to break one way or another. You know, these charts would suggest if you're looking at the Dixie, right, and the inflation expectations that yields are going to go higher, right? You just showed us that the rate hike odds are pulling in more increases, right, by the end of 2023. Why is the 10-year yield stuck in this range right now, in your opinion? Well, I do think part of it is the fact that we're starting to peer over into the horizon for 2022, where growth is beginning to look like it's not going to be so hot. Uh, I've seen some estimates come out recently suggesting that the G part of the GDP equation, C plus I plus G plus X minus M, 
Uh, we're going to have about a negative 10% drag potentially next year. And when you talk about that coupled with Fed tightening, all of a sudden, those longer term growth expectations that are built into the long end of the yield curve, they begin to erode. I think what's happening with the dollar is not just so much of a greenback story itself, but also what's going on with the euro. We have all these signs that COVID infections are increasing in Europe. Today, we just got news that Germany is shutting down the Nord Stream 2 project. That's going to lead to a lot higher gas prices in the very near term. And so the European economy doesn't look great. Christine Lagarde, the ECB president, is coming out just this week saying, uh, the market has it wrong. The ECB is not hiking rates at all in 2022. So we're getting this divergence, this juxtaposition between the Fed and the ECB. The largest component of the dollar index is the euro. And so as the euro stays on this downward spiral, it's really helping propel the U.S. dollar higher here in the very near term. Yeah, no doubt about it. All right, let's talk about crude oil. You just mentioned energy in general. We know that we had that huge bounce um, from late in the summer here. And I see your chart. I see this thing is kind of going sideways, but it broke that very steep uptrend um, that we had off of those lows from early um, from the summer in the low 60s here. And here we are. That breakout level is about 76. What's your take here? Because it seems like we're going to see greater energy production in the coming months here. At least that's what's been signaled by um, OPEC plus a little bit. What's your take on crude right now? It looks like there are some geopolitical considerations coming into play. Uh, a little noticed news item that passed through the wires the last few days was that Israel was canceling some high level meetings with uh, the Biden administration in part because of the Biden administration's posturing on a new Iran nuclear deal. Now, I think that the Biden administration is using an Iran nuclear deal to provoke Saudi Arabia into producing its oil production vis-a-vis uh, -vis OPEC. And now we have the Biden administration also talking about releasing some reserves from the SPR, the Strategic Petroleum Reserve here. So um, I do notice that last Wednesday, when we had that hot inflation print, crude oil prices put in a bearish outside engulfing bar, a key reversal on the daily timeframe. It's very possible that we're working on a little bit of a double top here. So while the range is persisting for now, if we do find ourselves undercutting that November low, that puts us on a trajectory to return back to trendline support from the November 2020 and uh, August 2021 swing lows back in that 72 area. But then again, long-term global oil demand uh, measured against GDP, 0.97 correlation on a quarterly basis going back 30 years. So if we see the economies uh, around the world, particularly those developed economies with higher vaccination rates continuing to reopen, it should mean that crude oil prices inevitably move up more, even if we have a bout of near-term news that, that pushes the spot price down uh, over the next few days or weeks. Yeah, you just mentioned generals are usually fighting those old wars. I'll just tell you this, the last war, the last time we were coming um, off of QE tapering was back in 2014 and rates were rising. The dollar was rising. We were talking about global reflation because the global financial crisis, we know there were fits and starts where some economies came out further than others. But you would have thought that crude oil would have kept on going when the dollar started to rally right? And rates started to go higher. Crude oil sold off more than 60% from its highs in 2014 to its lows in 2016. So maybe that it's different this time. I'm not sure. I'm not playing for higher prices in crude oil. All right, let's talk about this one. This is a really interesting chart. Here's the pound yen here. You've drawn some very interesting lines. It seems like you had that breakout of that near-term downtrend. It broke out. It retested it. Is it going to bounce here, Chris? Yeah, this is a really important area where pound yen is, is bouncing. We call this pair the dragon because it's so volatile and it tends to be a good risk indicator. 
And so right now, what we're seeing here is that trend line that's coming across from the top left of our screen, that solid white line, that actually goes back to the all-time high we set in 2007, as well as the 2014 swing high. So the fact of the matter is that we did break out, we've now retested it, and it's coming in a period when the Bank of England really just shook markets around its rate hike odds. But this week, we've already seen better employment data from the UK. We're looking at hotter inflation prints coming out of the UK. We can see those Bank of England rate hike odds stabilize and pull forward a little bit more from where they currently sit. And in context of the technical move here, the uptrend from the pandemic lows is still very much in place. So if we find ourselves trading higher here in pound yen, breaking through last week's highs, I think that the bottom is in for pound yen for the rest of the year. And it could be part of a multi-year bottoming process. This is the opportunity, I think, to begin looking long once more. Oh, Chris, it's too bad that Guy Adami was not here for that dragon cross. Um, that was a great commentary on a risk cross there. Um, listen, we really appreciate you joining here. Um, you know, we did, the, we did the gold, we did the rates, we did the dollar, we did the dragon cross. Um, you know, we're going into a period right now where, you know, it really is a macro period. You know, all the tailwinds that have kind of been moving equities higher or some of the ones that have been moving some commodities um, higher, you know, we might see some of that stuff revert a little bit, and especially as portfolio managers start to rethinking about rebalancing after such a strong year, at least in equities, but many commodities um, also into year end or into the new year, I think it makes sense to keep an eye on this. So Chris Vecchio, I want to thank you, uh, Senior Strategist at Daily FX. Today's market call macro was brought to you by our presenting sponsors, Nadex, the leading U.S. exchange for binary options, call spreads, and knockouts. And of course, Open Exchange, they manage virtual meetings that matter for the top companies around the world. For Guy Adami and myself, thank you for joining the Market Call Macro. Chris Vecchio, thanks again, and we'll see you all next Tuesday.